Monday, October 5th, 2020. This is LA Podcast. I'm Scott Frazier here with Alyssa Walker and Hayes Davenport. We have a lot to go through with you today. Um, and also you may have already noticed, but in case you haven't, today is the day that we drop our election guide. We um, decided to do it on the same day that ballots drop instead of two to three weeks after the fact this time. That's our big innovation for this election cycle. Because ballots, they actually, they're out already. They're out already. I haven't, I I have not got yours. Mm -hmm. What? I haven't haven't seen mine. But yeah, we wanted to be prepared. There are a lot of other good election guides out there, but we definitely wanted to weigh in as we usually do with our recommendations in in a lot of races, not in not in every race, as we I think said last time, there are a lot that are either not competitive or just generally don't seem that relevant to our our listener base. But we think we picked some good ones. So that's on our socials. It's on thelapod.com. Uh, we've got the the full write up and little graphics for uh, if you want to just bring something into the voting booth. We will talk more later in this episode about because we we went through all the propositions uh, and there were a couple that we kind of re-examined from when we talked about them on the show. So I think we can talk about that later in the episode. But first, I think we can get into some of the big news of the week. This is the, the, you want to hear the image that has been in my head for the last few days. Yes, Eric Garcetti, just like on the starting block. Uh huh. His fingertips just lightly touching the ground, just every muscle tensed, ready for to hear the gun, and he's facing east. And as soon as the gun goes, he is going to sprint, full sprint, across the country like to Gump. get out of Los Angeles. Yes, <laughs> except much faster. <laughs> dead, dead sprint. <laughs> just out, out the front door of the Getty House. Down yeah. Wilshire, all the way. Hey, he's looking out at the People City Council was out there this week <laughs> yeah. doing. Mm-hmm. It first, was so uh, they good. Brought a bulldozer. They brought, they brought a bulldozer, <laughs> one of the mini bulldozers that are used to crush tents during sweeps. But they also brought food to give out the people who are food insecure in that area. And I'm sure he was just looking out the window and he was like couple months Can't i'm never gonna to have to over. deal with you people yeah, ever again. he's look, looking out at a sea of red clown noses as though he were being visited <laughs> by like like 30 patch adams cosplayers yeah. and he's just like well i i won't have to deal with this much longer yeah he's like have your fun laugh it up now people i'm a i'm a ghost enjoy this interim mayor martinez uh, what, so how do we connect our, uh, what's the local angle on some of the events of this past week? Yeah, I've been trying to think about this because so, so Garcetti was there. He traveled out of state. He was there. He was at the debate. There is a, um, he was wearing a mask. There was a picture of him wearing this nice little city of LA mask. Yeah. Yeah. 
I haven't seen that one actually. I've, he usually only wears the Dodger yeah, logo. Yeah, right. The Dodger logo. Like. I was going to say. So this was the like official mm-hmm. fancy mask. And so he was sitting there and you can see in some of the photos, like on the Democratic side, they all have their masks on. And then you see just beyond with like the entire Trump family spitting at each other with no mask on, turning around, you know, mm-hmm. like just just chatting. Dancing cheek to cheek. I mean, it's probably fine. We've all uh, grown accustomed to the sight of the president and his entourage doing whatever they want with no masks on. Yeah. So No, it's probably... And just so people know, we are recording this on Wednesday morning. I don't know if anything has happened since then. But... I, you know, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> At press time, uh, the president had developed a, a light cough. <laughs> I mean, but, I, but I've been wondering, yeah. too, like, do, they haven't said about, like, him being tested, like, from being yeah. there. You know, like, they've said, like, Biden has been tested repeatedly, but they haven't said anything about him or brought him into the I mean there's there you were in that room you were there I mean I don't know I feel like Can you can you imagine Eric Garcetti doing the the drive through testing at Dodger <laughs> Stadium and having to like watch the video of himself I telling mean, you how to do the test regularly right I mean there must yeah, be some I'm, protocol I'm, where he gets tested like every day Anybody right? who comes within like 500 feet of Joe Biden I'm sure is, is getting tested on the regular, except unless they're a Republican, in which yeah. case it's basically <laughs> biological warfare at this point. It's, <laughs> it's the honor system, Scott. Yeah, right. Uh, wouldn't it hurt your feelings if you were the mayor of an enormous city and no one was even asking, like, <laughs> if you had COVID or, like, if you got tested when you were, like, in the hot zone for hours? Nobody has, like, even had a, a, a chance to to inquire about him. They're just, there's just been such a stream of positive results coming in from Thursday, Thursday evening when it was announced that President Trump and his wife have uh, COVID to the present. It's, it's Sunday when we're recording this. And, yeah, I guess Garcetti, they're just waiting for him to, to self-report <laughs> Nobody has time to ask him about how he's doing. <laughs> he's like, just what about me, guys? Everyone is just laying so low. <laughs> We're not gonna, not a goddamn thing is gonna happen in uh, out of the mayor's office from now until November fourth. They're just <laughs> time is frozen until then. There was a little aftermath local in like local media. After the debate, this is, we've been talking about the LA Times. They had an internal reckoning with their reportage where they, it was this past Sunday. Is that possible? Yes. Uh, Their editorial section had a a huge story about the legacy of racism at the LA Times and promising to do better. We talked about more recent instances of not doing better. But we're, we're hoping after Sunday, everything would like sort of turn around. And then an article came out after the debate. Not N, two. Two. Two articles. What, were, what was the, uh, the content of those articles? I, don't, I can't even. I mean, I tried to tell the it was tried to tell the difference between the two of them. But it's basically like a heartwarming yeah. story of two different factions of white supremacists in the Northwest. So it's I think like, that, yeah, I, I think that the distinction between the two articles was one is 
like meet the proud boys it's kind of like the brady mm-hmm. bunch theme is playing and you've got little guys with their little uh white supremacist armbands or, or whatever uh and then the other one was here's why the proud boys are so happy right now so right. a very so minor one, distinction maybe yeah. you could I, I, if you wanted to be critical of of the LA Times's decision making which maybe is is unfair of us I think you could probably say that one or both of these stories did not need to be written at all yeah I guess one <laughs> one they had probably been reporting for a while and it just happened to drop at that time and then the other one you're right was a response to the very clear message that was given by the president to the Proud Boys in the debate to stand by, get get ready. But the, yeah, it was, again, it, even the tweets that were shared f- for the story. And in one case, the writer who's the Pacific Northwest bureau chief tagged the Proud Boys in the tweet. And because, and all hashtag. these hashtag, and you wouldn't really do that unless you maybe wanted people to search them and share it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Search people who were in the hashtag to share the story. And the right. tweets were written in such a way and the headlines and the social sharing language that it was completely could have been like a positive share for them. Like it would have been at like, least very neutral. Yes. Yes. Uh, it talks about how these are, they call themselves Western chauvinists, but what they want is smaller government and border security. And you had people like Mike Cernovich and other uh, leaders of the alt right retweeting it, saying like, mm, "Sounds pretty good to me." Yeah. A lot of this people, like a, a lot of people replying. Who I mean, Cernovich obviously knows who the Proud Boys are, but a lot of people replying to that tweet, kind of being like, "I'm interested in this, yeah, in this group." Where do I sign up? It's basically no mention of the tool. fact that this is a hate group that actively seeks to commit. And spread violence. In fact, it was talking about violence. They were trying to stop the violence. That was what one of the tweets was, like to stop the violence in Portland. Yeah. And it also said that they were inspired primarily by Antifa running wild. (laughs) Antifa not hashtag. Not hashtag. At the very least, let Antifa (laughs) search their hashtag as well. And also the the LA Times did take down one tweet. But then they shared the story again, like yeah. saying, we should have said this was a hate group, but still we're just going to put the story right back up out there with the same headline, with the same oh, yeah. language. I'm sure it was a, a, a click of palooza. I'm sure like it did huge numbers. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was kind of reminiscent of that story a couple years ago. I don't remember what it was actually called, but I, I just remember it being talked about as the Nazi next door story. I, I think it was in New York Times where they're like going yeah. and they're, they're like, why are people so interested in Richard Spencer? And, uh, you know, like, why are they chanting Jews will not replace us? And and maybe we all just need to get to know the person behind the tiki torch. It was it was almost that bad. I feel like it was it was an extremely it was an extremely bad move, an egregious piece by the the LA Times. Like you were saying, Hayes, it's a week, less than a week. We're talking about a mere matter of days after their uh, supposed reckoning, their, their coming out and telling us as Angelinos, we're going to do better uh, on issues of race, then they are putting up a piece that spends much of its length validating the notion of 
like quote unquote racial guilt as uh, mm-hmm. as an evil to be fought by you know by a quirky little social club composed primarily of white men who who are you know borderline white nationalists the the piece does actually go into like to to some effort to actually say like it's a diverse group of people like mm-hmm. as as a, a sort of justification the the time that is spent on validating the actions of the proud boys and and also simultaneously doing the the false equivalency between the proud boys and groups or affiliations like antifa and also i mean there's no clear linkage to be drawn between Antifa and Black Lives Matter anyway, but the the author of the piece attempts to do that for for whatever reason. And and so the the piece on its whole is extremely poor and does a, a great disservice to the readers of the LA Times. And and I think this is exactly what we were talking about last week. It's it's challenging when you say as an as an organization we want to we want to overthrow the legacy of institutional racism at the LA Times but you view that as somehow like a sequesterable goal that is not going to affect the rest of your reporting about the rest of the world you're just mm-hmm. going to like you're going to do positive stories about like the black community, but then also you're going to continue doing the things that you've been doing forever. That I don't think will, will cut it. And obviously by the reaction to this piece is, is not cutting it. Mm -hmm. And the days without a racial reckoning counter (laughs) flip from three back to zero. I saw like a million variations of that joke. That joke is public domain after how many people were <laughs> doing it. We have to like get together and do the Pete Buttigieg high high hopes. We had high hopes for, for the LA Times <laughs> dance. So, oh, and I also want to point out that the, the LA Times food critic Patricia Escarcega posted that she has, you know, in the aftermath of this, uh, very traumatic experience where LA Times reporters and columnists are airing their grievances with senior management and stories of abuse and all these other horrible things going on there. Patricia Escarcega posted that she has been waiting and, and promised a resolution on a complaint that, that she issued a very long time ago about senior management that still has not come through. Uh, and she went public with it, just saying that she's like incredibly disappointed. This is the, just something that you would think that they would just be on top of at this point. Like with all the attention, with all the, the publicity that they have published in their own newspaper, just like drop other stuff yeah. for a minute. Like get this resolved. We have a lot of stuff related to policing and police shootings to talk about this week but related to that there's some news in uh, the political world related to endorsements from figures who have led in los angeles the fight against police brutality against black residents 
and the effort to defund the police department. Two of the leaders of this movement for a very long time, we've talked about them on the show, are Dr. Melina Abdullah, uh, who's the, one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter LA, and Pete White of LA Can, the LA Community Action Network, centered in Skid Row. Both of them this week endorsed Herb Wesson, uh, former current city council member, former president of the city council, and running now for county supervisor in the second district. This was an endorsement that surprised me. I think it surprised a lot of people. Yeah. What was your take on it? Well, it wasn't. It was there was you, you have to you have to point to the other thing that was interesting, maybe that happened before, which was that Herb Wesson tweeted that he would not decide to endorse uh, someone for district attorney. Yeah. That so was that actually too, happened right? right after. Oh, yeah. after? So oh, after, okay, after Dr. Abdullah endorsed him, he went and posted that he was not going to make an endorsement for district attorney. And people like, you're a coward. Endorse George Gascon, who's running against Jackie Lacey, who Black Lives Matter has been protesting for a really long time. But those people did not realize that him saying that he was not going to endorse in that race was actually him pulling his longstanding endorsement right. of Jackie Lacey. Right. Uh, so he, like Adam Schiff, like Laura Friedman, decided to rescind that endorsement. So that was pretty clear what the transaction was right. between Pete White and Dr. Abdullah with Herb Wesson. They said, like, we'll, like, I guess we'll come aboard if you pull your Lacey endorsement. What's still a little surprising about it to me is that Herb Wesson's record on policing, the expansion of police, helping the police union get their political goals met is a pretty long one. Accepting donations uh, also. A lot of campaign donations from the deputy sheriff's union and the police protective league. And he essentially was like one of the uh, like the people who pushed through charter amendment C in 2017 which we've talked about on the show yeah which made it basically made the disciplinary process against officers more lenient they were more likely to not be punished for misconduct and at the time the black lives matter was very outspoken against charter amendment C yeah i mean it, it is it is interesting i i i do know it's it's interesting. I feel like the overlap between black political circles and black activist circles in Los Angeles is always more complete, I think, than it seems from the outside. And I know that Dr. Uh, Abdullah in particular has has actually been supportive of Herb Wesson for for quite some time. That being said, I, I do think, you know, the, the proximity and time of these events is interesting. It, it is strange that, first of all, Wesson held on to this endorsement of Lacey for, for so long when it seems mm -hmm. like it was politically expedient for a while for him to to drop it but again i also think there's probably there's probably a social relationship there between wesson and and lacy but as far as as far as supporting wesson over mitchell i i think that it's a very political decision on their on their part based in 
what they view as as the pragmatic choice. But I, I, I do feel like that, that world is just frankly pretty small. And a lot of these people know each other regardless on whether of whether or not they're inside or outside the system in, in ways that are maybe more intimate than they appear. I do, I've, I feel like, you know, from from our perspective though, like, because although we are very supportive of Black Lives Matter, we're very supportive of the work that Melina Abdullah and, and Ellie can do separately, of course, that we, we have endorsed Holly Mitchell, former state senator, and like the the reason there is really as we put it in our election guide, as we said, coming out today, is basically that more than anybody else, Herb Wesson is the person that you can actually point at and say, this is the person who who is responsible for Angelinos not trusting their government in, in the mm-hmm. present day. Like he ran the, the city council in such a way that not going to say that he created the culture of corruption in city council, but he definitely fostered a, a, a culture of corruption, uh, spearheaded by his best friend on on the council, Jose Wizar, and and people have a lot of distrust for this count, council and the way that it was run, and so um, I think that the the implications for that as as you know broadened in scope to the relatively much more powerful county government are are frankly bad and so like yeah. if that's a if that's an exchange of the endorsement of of uh, a leading activist in exchange for a no endorsement in the DA race it doesn't seem like a great exchange to me because i don't know that it necessarily makes a difference in the DA race might make a difference in the supervisorial race, though. Right. Yeah. And I think that lack of trust. So Herb Wesson has kind of, after the protests starting in May and June, he has kind of taken, like, become the face among elected officials of reimagining public safety locally. And he put forward a motion to remove officers from nonviolent calls we still have not seen any actual resolution of that motion first it was a study then recently they put forward another motion that's like let's actually look at like funding for a pilot program which is exactly by the way at the time what we predicted would happen yeah which will probably be a couple of social workers and people trained in mental health crises and de-escalation driving around handling a very very small fraction of cases and it's not even uh, and, a, the, and it's not even a, a i mean correct me if i'm wrong but I, I think it's not even a city program it's like they're looking to contract with a nonprofit to do this in a select number of cases so just like maximally making it as easy as possible to totally cut this like no no strings not not even using city resources to or city employees to do this just finding a nonprofit yeah which to me suggests just like a, a total lack of commitment and the yeah. fact that uh, he's leading it and he's leaving so it's it really yes. does i mean i'm there sure there that. are council members are like we support this but not as not as strongly as him they mm-hmm. have to be looking at places like Minneapolis. Alyssa, you you brought this up in our recent interview with Eunice Hernandez. 
that, that places like Minneapolis have dropped basically the plans that they made at the beginning of the, the summer and not that they need that inspiration from elsewhere to, to not follow through on something. But I'm sure that they're looking at the, the more ambitious proposals from elsewhere and kind of being like, okay, we just have to wait it out for another <laughs> couple months. One of the leading voices on this is going to leave the council and then, yeah, and then we'll just quietly kill it. Even the even that meeting, even that council yeah. committee meeting, I feel like got very little attention. So they're they're probably just biding their time. Uh, let's get into some of uh, current events related to uh, policing. A lot happened this week. I was, I mean, this is a testament, I think, to the how much national news drowned out things that were happening locally. But there was an arrest made. In the case of the the two deputies who were shot in Compton, and we talked about at the time, a few days to a week later, there was a police chase and a, a, a carjacking that the public information officer said might have something to do with the with the shooting of the two deputies. They, and then outright, they said, it, yeah, then then they, they outright said, denied it. Yeah, then they said no. Yeah, they, yeah. Then they said it didn't have anything to do with that. And now they're saying the person who they caught in that carjacking was the shooter. Yeah, of the two deputies. What happened? So the the news that came out this week was that. So this was in a, a joint press conference held by the district attorney's office uh, and the sheriff's department. Jackie Lacey and uh, Alex Villanueva were both present answering questions for the press. The news was that they arrested a man, a, a resident of the city of Compton, and charged him with the shooting of these two deputies. What was that, like three, four weeks ago at this point? This man... Uh, Deontay Lee Murray was, like you said, Hayes, arrested, actually in charge with a separate shooting and a carjacking. He was, at the time that he was arrested, driving the the vehicle that, that police believe was, was stolen in that carjacking. And the news was actually that they were adding the charge of shooting the two deputies at the, the near the Metro Blue Line station in Compton to the charges that the DA had already applied in his case. So like you mentioned, reporters were very quick to pick up on the fact that, hey, we had been told not just like, not just we don't know if this is related to the other case. We had been told this is categorically not the person that we we're looking for in the other case and what happened here and why should we trust information coming out of uh, the sheriff's department going forward. I love to hear that because <laughs> I thought I thought there was literally nothing yeah. that the sheriff's department could do that would make them ask that question. But this press conference was actually uh, at multiple points pretty heated yeah. and reporters were clearly... Uh, unhappy with the way that the sheriff's department had misled misled them for apparently no reason besides that they didn't want word to get out yet. So in in the narrative provided by the sheriff's department, 
one of the things that repeatedly came up, and, and I think this is probably not a surprise to our listeners based on the conversations that we've previously had about this specific case, is that Alex Villanueva continually hit on the police, uh, the anti-police brutality protests as a cause or an inciting factor in in the violence that was visited on these two deputies and but not with any specifics about like this person being motivated by that right no like was he like no they refused no information provided on that at all they they refused to provide so they they went and gave in some detail the case that they were intending on bringing against this man murray and then would occasionally slip in things about how they had evidence that it was premeditated or he, at one, one point, the, the sheriff's captain, Wagner, was he was basically like, this, this, this is a person who hates all cops and wants them all to die. Reporters were asking them to basically back up those statements. And none of the three of them, Villanueva... DA Lacey or uh, Captain Wagner were were willing to provide any further information on that score. They said that in in view of their claim that it was a premeditated attack, they were saying, well, we have video showing that he was in the area for a while before he shot them. And well, it was clearly a premeditated attack. He walked up and shot them like <laughs> at some point he decided yeah yeah but i mean i think if they had a text if the, if he had posted like a black square that day on instagram when people were doing that that information would have found its way to bill malugan right now at fox 11 and we would all know about it they could not contain themselves with like the, the like the thrill of getting that information out there that this person was actually inspired by a protest movement and now it's been days since since the arrest and we have not actually heard that so no and i mean for for his part the sheriff was was asked directly to to respond to the claims that he made even in this press conference that that this was in some way tied directly to anti-police brutality protests and he was just basically incoherent. I mean, he said that there was like no way that he could say that that wasn't the case because that would be supposition. And the reporters were like, well, that wasn't really what we were asking. We were saying you already said, you already made the supposition that it was because of this and you have yet to retract that claim. And then he said that he wouldn't retract it. And also that his quote was, the job is not, any easier because of these protests so it's exactly what happened with josie huang she was arrested a million uh, smears were launched against her like how she conducted herself in that situation and her employer and then as soon as video evidence came out he's like how dare you ask me to yeah. th- th- like to suppose anything there's an open investigation here excuse me I'm the sheriff. He he actually. I don't comment on yeah. open investigations. <laughs> do, do you think I'm unprofessional? Yeah. He he actually did comment a little bit on the the case, which was dropped against Josie Huang, who uh, reporter who for 
KPCC who was arrested while doing her job as a reporter outside the hospital where the two deputies in this case, the the Compton shooting case, had been brought. Villanueva's comments, though, about Huang, he was he was asked specifically by reporters, what do you think about the, the DA saying that they're dropping the dropping the charges due to insufficient evidence? Although for our listeners, Josie Huang and, and KPCC, as far as the most recent information that I have, are actually seeking a finding of uh, like evidentiary innocence basically so they're they're looking mm-hmm. for yeah, the DA's sure. office to go further and not just say sh- there's insufficient evidence to charge her but Villanueva said that so th- this is possibly exactly why they're doing that Villanueva said insufficient evidence is not absence of evidence and he he made a <laughs> he made a statement that yeah so he refuses to let this go he made a statement that they have additional video evidence of Huang's activities, uh, in his words, that that explain why why the deputies couldn't tell whether or not she was a, a protester or a journalist. When questioned, then following up on that as to why why they would have difficulty doing that when she was shouting, I'm a reporter, I'm a reporter. His response was... And wearing a lanyard and saying the name of yes. the Audibly. radio station. His, for. Definitely hear his, yeah. his response, this is, uh, this is an all-timer from a man who has put together quite a portfolio. His response was, when you're saying I'm a reporter, but you're being handcuffed, that's a little bit too late for that. So that is... yeah. She she had one point five seconds to to, to yeah. fully complete the sentence. Excuse me, sir. I'm actually a reporter with Too KPCC. Late. Time's up. Here's my lanyard. Oh, okay. Time's I'm up. in jail. Okay. <laughs> Next time, talk faster. I I, I want to kind of related to all this with Sheriff Vinueva. I want to kind of raise something. Really, like sound the alarm on something. I was talking to some people about this this week. I think we all in the uh, like certain like liberal circles, we have this kind of assumption that like there's broad acknowledgement that Villanueva is a total disaster and has absolutely no chance of getting reelected in two years. But I just want to point out that the traditional kingmakers in LA politics have not really taken that position. Right, labor. The Fed has not only like not really come out against Villanueva in any significant way, they're actually coming out against Measure J, which would reduce some of the funding of his department. So on that, they are actually on the same side. The L.A. County Democrats put forward like their first kind of censure of Villanueva this week, but it wasn't like a really pe- – wasn't calling on him to resign and saying like, hey, pal, but you better shape up a little bit. Yeah. But I – have no reason to really believe that the people who do this stuff are looking for a replacement. The only, the only ones who might be are people connected to the board of supervisors, like someone in one of the supervisors, like political allies. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I, I think that you're right to call this out because it's extremely worrying. I know we, we frequently, I would say more than any other, more than any other single question I can think of that we get about local politics, it's 
can Villanueva be recalled? recalled and is there yeah. an effort underway to do that? And the answer is yes, he can be. And no, there's not an effort underway to do it. And perhaps more concerningly, nobody is trying to identify who the person would be who would challenge him when he comes up for, for re-election. We know uh, this is this is a race that was covered when Villanueva was made it made his way into the runoff last time around with general shock because incumbents don't lose like they they just serve until they die or they feel like retiring so the incumbency inertia there is is really strong and the absence of uh, as far as we're aware at this point in time, any institution seeking out a high quality replacement. I mean, I, I couldn't name a single name off the top of my head as to like who would be somebody who would be equipped to take this position over. You do kind of wonder whether or not the path for activists is to instead focus that energy on actually like changing changing the organization sufficiently to just reduce its power i don't i don't know like i don't know and that's happening too obviously yeah like to some extent but like you talk about like yes it's very difficult to defeat an incumbent especially at like the county level but he actually did have a huge amount of institutional support he had the democrats right. he had the deputy sheriffs too like jim mcdonald was kind of on an island at that point, because of right. his policies around interacting with ICE, letting ICE into the jails. But that that, that, that support, like the big time support that Villanueva had has not really gone away or at the very least is kind of like neutral on him now. And and so I, th yeah. I think one of the things that, that you mentioned to us that's worth calling out is that a big part of the reason is apparently because of his harder stance against uh, collaboration with ICE as compared with Jim McDonald. That was also the reason why we endorsed him. And of course, we've uh, just get my my flail really fast. I'll just do one quick flail myself. OK, great. OK, yeah, that was good. <laughs> but you're getting good at it. The yeah, the <laughs> thing, though, is that like we, we now are looking at that as obviously not nearly sufficient to balance out all the other things that he's done. He was just in this week, one of the very first things that we talked about during his term was his reinstatement of Karen Carl Mandoyan, uh, a former deputy who was accused of stalking and uh, abusing his former girlfriend, who was also a deputy. He reinstated that person after they were fired by the previous sheriff. And a judge actually came in and said, when the board of supervisors overruled that, that they had done so correctly, that the sheriff had overstepped his authority in re reinstating this person who had been properly terminated. So this is somebody who is fundamentally dangerous to Angelinos, his his stance on cooperating with ICE notwithstanding. And I think even that uh, there's uh, some doubt about the, uh, the efficacy of his actions there. But that does seem to be why the, the big labor organizations have not yet given any sign that they are disavowing him as a candidate. And absent that, I mean, 
there there needs to be a push that originates from somewhere else. And I think Hayes, you you identified the board of supervisors. I think if they're not if they're not talking to somebody, I don't know who would be. Well, you've got to wonder, like, yeah, it, we were going to have supervisors switched out. This could be the the mo- Obviously, we're in election mode. It's not going to happen right now, although it should start right now. But then after the election, maybe that's where the pressure needs to be put on from you know, the Measure J people, you know, the whole coalition, the next big push needs to be recall and put the pressure on the supervisors to make this their priority. And to find somebody to run, you know, in case the the recall doesn't take or doesn't right. happen in time. Yeah, but these things have to kind of start now. Yeah. There's yeah. people running for, for mayor already. Like that, the 2022 cycle has begun i'm horrified to say <laughs> okay but the the thing that i think is the thing that i think is truly troubling when you really break it down is when we talk about the sheriff's uh, department which we do all the time and i wish to god that i could spend less of my time thinking about them but i can't but when you when you talk about the sheriff's uh, department one of the things that becomes really apparent is the sheriff's deputies like the less accountable culture that that Wave has brought in. That was basically his promise to them on the campaign trail. They responded really well to it. The previous sheriff, Jim McDonnell, was the first sheriff in a long time. I don't remember the exact number of years, but the first one in a long time who had not come up within the sheriff's department. So when you're looking for a challenger, it's either going to be somebody within the sheriff's the the sheriff's department, which means that you're looking for somebody who's willing to break ranks in this highly uh, uh, what is basically just a, a gang structure at the sheriff's department. Somebody who's willing to buck that and, and go against the head of this organization, or you're going to be looking for somebody from outside the sheriff's department. And those are really your only two choices. And I'm not really sure who that person would mm-hmm. be in either case. Uh, they could go back to the Long Beach Police Department, which is where they got Jim McDonald to replace Lee Baca. Let's check on the Long Beach Police Department <laughs> building. Oh, wait, there's a Trump flag flying <laughs> is it still up? outside is it still up? the building as of as this of, morning yeah, or this very morning, recently. Yeah. It might be yeah, half it be at half so Yeah, shouldn't it be at yeah. half <laughs> Why is it all the way up? And the sheriff's department gave us yet another reason to not trust them this week with yet another like, oh, whoopsie, we totally got what we said wrong that we reported this morning that a female deputy was getting out of a car, getting into a car, a patrol car and shot herself by accident. But then, I don't even know if they said that. They they just said uh, a deputy has shot shot, shot herself. So they, yeah. they definitely yeah. said she shot herself, but I don't yeah, know if they had the context almost of where like it happened yet. It was something, yeah. And then like a couple hours later, they're like, oh, whoops, actually the male deputy shot, accidentally shot the female deputy. We got that wrong. No reason to, you know, think that that would have been in any way to cover something up or, or, you know, <laughs> this was, this was at the South Los Angeles Sheriff's Department station, which is the, the location of ongoing protests related to the, the murder of Dijon Kizzy at the hands of sheriff's deputies, uh, about a month ago now, the, 
I mean, what's so confusing? I, I think that we talk enough about this, the the unreliability of initial reports for from police departments, regardless of the police department, but LAPD and uh, the sheriff's department do seem to be particularly bad at it. I don't understand this one. Like how... She didn't announce herself as as a deputy uh, <laughs> in, t- in time. Tell the boy. You know, it's like, okay, it's a little, well, I've already shot you. Yeah. So it's a little late. Where's your land saying, for that now? Saying that these deputies were beginning their patrol and it was an accidental discharge, which is what they are currently saying, is one thing. But how in all of that do you get confused about who shot who? They're in a parking lot. It should be readily. One of them has their gun out and is apparently pointing it in the direction of the other. I'd feel like it would be really rudimentary to be able to make a determination about whether or not somebody shot themselves in that situation. Well, what if they were both doing tricks at the same time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like uh, mm-hmm. what if they have would it be the, like would it surprise you at all <laughs> if they have a pre-patrol tradition of both taking out their guns and doing a little spinny on their fingers and That's the technical and term then for it. holstering them and saying mount up and then <laughs> playing Regular. playing enter sandman on the patrol uh, car yeah. radio right and, 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 and driving off i think it is possible mm-hmm. that they were both doing something stupid with their guns, and when one went off and shot this woman, they genuinely didn't know whose gun had done it. This is so within the realm of possibility yeah. for me. That is that a is hazard possible. when you're doing tricks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also found out this she's week, okay, by the way. Dijon Kazee's autopsy, one of uh, several now, was revealed through no help by the sheriff whatsoever who actually uh, tried to hide this information uh, as he did with Andres Guardado as well when he was killed by sheriff's deputies a few months ago. It indicates that Kazee was hit by 16 shots, uh, which I think they shot about about 19 times total based on what we uh, could hear on security cameras. And most of those shots, multiple shots, were in the back, uh, which is what's also confirmed by what we can see on uh, video footage. I don't know what the next step is in that case, necessarily. What's the status of the the, the state uh, investigators are still looking at that one, right? Yeah, we have actually no idea what is going to come of uh, attorney general investigations. Um, The... The, the same is true in the case of Andres Guardado, where the state is is making its own separate right. investigation into what happened. We don't know the timeline. We don't know when we will have more information from the state. But I do think that a lot of people are waiting at that on that at this point in time. One of the things that I think is is pretty apparent from from the existing reporting at this point, particularly from uh, Sara Suleiman at uh, Streets Blog, is that the story that has been put forward, this is version four or five of it, still doesn't make sense based on the, the video evidence that exists. The Sheriff's Department, for their, for their part, were saying that they were waiting on completion of 
the autopsy report to continue their investigation and whether or not into whether or not the deputies acted within the law. I think that there's little doubt, at least in my mind, that they will not say that this was a case in which the the deputies broke uh, policy or existing laws about police conduct. So it really is it really is up to the state. We got an LAPD story as well, Alyssa. What happened there? Yeah, I was just I was just pulling up the quote and and checking it to see if it was any different than the quote the last time the officers were charged that it said we this will never happen again and it happened again. <laughs> but we have I think the la- was the last one the last round of this I don't know what it was earlier this year but the Metro Division, you may not call it the Elite Metro Division. We are no longer doing that. No one They're can call on punishment. it that. If you don't call it, if you don't call it in the press release, they don't call they don't say that they're the elite force in the press release about these officers being charged with falsifying information. Yeah. So I don't think we should use it. So that they were you remember that Metro has like They have this program that was uncovered by the LA Times where they were stopping people randomly, quote unquote, and they would get people's information and they would take that information and they were entering it into the CalGang database. They were completely falsifying information. People didn't know that this was happening, that they weren't being, that they were being added to this database until a woman found out that I think her son was entered in it. And then, and the LA Times did this big investigation. So now because of that, we have a total of six officers that have been charged Three more were charged this week. And it, again, like, you know, you, you, they keep saying, you know, we don't know how this happens. We don't know how this happens. Well, we know how this happens. And then just coincidentally that morning, LAPD had a press conference talking about the uptick in violent crime in South LA as they tried to get ahead of this to try to prove, I guess, that this program needs to continue and they need to keep stopping people and getting their information. We, yeah, we've talked about this uh, case before, but the LAPD has incentivized among their officers g- gang arrests and getting people into the cow gang database. And then we're shocked to find that officers were entering people into that database under totally false pretenses until this mother, can you imagine, finding out that her son is in this database and going to say like my my son is not in a gang and there's no way that anything happened in this exchange with the officer to earn him a placement in the cow gang database so they had to watch the video to find out that this was happening and now they have found dozens and dozens more instances uh, instances of this behavior including 40 plus from one officer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the fact that chief michael moore keep saying over and over again, like we've taken steps to make sure that this isn't going to happen again. I mean, like, yeah, it's not going to happen again because the state attorney general took their screen time away. They are no longer allowed to use the Cal gang database. The LAPD has been deemed not sufficiently responsible with their uh, possessions. I mean, it's, it's like such like parent shit. Like, well, maybe when you prove that you can be an adult with this, then maybe you can have it back. But like for now, this is six officers who have been charged. And this is, you know, this is one reason why we should not be electing our 
prosecutors because the fact that we get this like spate of prosecutors she's now charged i think at least seven cops in the last year after rarely ever 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 doing that in the past certainly not for brutality and also charged harvey weinstein with three more counts of 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 rape right this week i mean she's been she's been kind of uh making these efforts to I mean, the the charge, the very belated charging of Ed Buck, the very belated charging yeah. of Harvey uh, Weinstein, as were these happened. The the counts that Weinstein was charged for are from like 2004 yep. to 2005. Yep. As we're rec- there's an election in a month. As we're recording right now, the LA Times just posted a, a story that Mayor Eric Garcetti has also switched. He has actually switched his endorsement from. Jackie Lacey to George Gascon. So, oh, wow. Late, late People, breaking. There, some polls have been completed. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Like, right. There is, this does not just happen. No. Yes. Let me say right now, uh, there are two remaining council members uh, who have continued to endorse Jackie Lacey. They are David Rue and Paul Koretz. How long do we give those endorsements? Well, you know, the funny thing about David Rue's endorsement of George Gascon is that it actually happened a year ago and he was the first person to do it. <laughs> you just, you just haven't been paying attention. Whatever, so whatever day he decides to change, <laughs> just subtract a full calendar. He, al- year. he has always been there. And finally you've caught up. <laughs> Alyssa, you said that you don't think he's going to, they're going to pull it at all. There's two left. I don't know. I, d- I just feel like, I mean, I can't really see Caretz doing it, can you? Caretz, I I would be surprised if he did. I don't think he cares. He's running for he's running for city city office now. Isn't it, isn't it exciting that we can vote against Paul Caretz, non-residents of Council mm-hmm. District Five? That is in thrilling. two years. Yeah. we'll get to vote against so him. So much to look forward to. Yeah, that, I don't know. I, that I is don't exciting. See but he is. I mean, he's the the District Five guy, and those people. Do not care for all of this protesting. No. They don't care for it. Sure. And also, maybe you could see Rue doing like a Wesson where he's just like, I'm, I'm not endorsing foca- I'm focusing on my campaign, which is in shambles. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to talk about two ballot propositions that we kind of looked at again that I think are the like the most different from some of the other voter guides that I, are great that we trust a lot but where we sort of went a different way one was prop 19 which we talked about on our voter guide episode which is bringing back prop 5 from a couple years ago which was put forward by the California Association of Realtors to allow seniors 55 and older who are selling their home to take their deflated tax rate under Prop 13 and carry it with them to their new house. Normally, when you buy a new place, your tax rate refreshes to whatever the assessed value of the property is, but they want seniors to be able to move with it so more houses are sold and seniors don't just stay in their house for longer because their tax rates are so low. That failed... They brought it back this time with a compromise saying, okay, if we can get this uh, tax break for seniors, then we will give up the tax break that people get when they inherit 
a house from their parents mm-hmm. as long as as if it's if they live there they can keep the tax break but if it's a second home or a rental property they don't get it and even if they live there the tax break only extends up to a million dollars and beyond a million dollars assessed value they are taxed on that we went yes because we thought that was a fair trade a lot of other people uh, have said no i think ours technically we are says stick- okay who says okay? The endorsement actually says okay. In the says, I think that's how we feel about it, right, <laughs> yeah. Scott? That is how we feel about it. And, yeah. and actually, you know, in general, one of, okay, well, let me just say, one of the things that I think is really funny about this measure, as much as I am not super fond of the California Association of Realtors, is that people are, I think, doing a credit to... The realtors and actually like blaming them or giving them credit for this measure looking the way that it does. Yes, it was very cynical for them to come back with this almost exact same proposition stitched onto another separate pr- proposition. But the way that we talked about at the end of the legislative session in August, the real party that's escaping blame here is the legislature who actually put this sure. on the ballot in the form that it, it ultimately took. So that, I, I think, aside, I do still think that this is an acceptable trade. Uh, and the reason why is realtors, of course, want greater home sales. But as a Californian who's uh, probably lifelong goal is going to be to stand in opposition to Prop 13 and all of its extended family of of other ballot measures is to undo the damage done by the the evisceration of tax collection enacted by the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, etc. Looked at from that view, the way that Prop 19 works, in my opinion, is an acceptable trade-off because what it actually is doing is it's resetting taxable taxable assessments on properties more frequently. At least that's the desired thing. You're only applying this uh, tax break to people who are 55 or older who already have, uh, let it be said, they already have the ability to do this in a lot of cases, like th- this expands the number of properties to which they can move and take their Prop 13 valuation with them within certain constraints because because it is subject to a formula. So it's not like they're just porting directly their tax breaks. They are probably going to end up paying more. But it only applies to seniors 55 or older. And you kind of have to wonder how many times they're actually going to take to utilize this, this tax movable tax break in the remainder of their life. If they're really going to be frequently switching homes, it seems unlikely. Uh, And even the Association of Realtors doesn't seem to think that that's the case. But they are looking to boost sales, which has the knock-on effect of boosting tax revenue by by turning over high-value, high-property land-value lots in urban areas and allowing them to be taxed at a more reasonable rate. There is a, I think, there is a, I think a fair analysis that was done by Knock LA, whose uh, voter guide is really good and, uh, and we recommend people check out. They say basically that they think that by having 
people who have had a long tenancy in a particular place move out that that will potentially accelerate gentrification. I would, it's not that I disagree, but I don't think that it changes depending on Prop 19. I think that basically neither a yes nor a no vote addresses the root causes of gentrification in this issue. And in many cases, the types of people who are who are looking to move as they get older are doing so anyway, and they're just moving out of state to Nevada or Texas or Arizona or wherever the case might be. So gentrification is happening. We know that. I don't think that this meaningfully affects that. And I think that that's something that the legislature needs to look at the root causes of to actually change. On the other side, you are cutting off one of the most egregious, I think the LA Times called it a loophole, but it's not really a loophole. This is the intention mm-hmm. of yeah. of the, <laughs> yeah. the Prop 13 regime. You're cutting off one of one of the heads of the serpent of, of Prop 13 because what it does is it gives you this like infinitely long-lifed uh, tax break as long as it remains dynastically held. And so getting rid of that <laughs> is a priority. It eliminates, mm-hmm. really eliminates one of the greatest continuous sources of stakeholders flowing into Prop 13. So I think it's important to to do this. We also took a look at Prop 25, which we were yes on in our, our ballot measure episode. Prop 25 ends the cash bail system in California. Sounds great. But it replaces it with an algorithmically based system where a risk assessment is done on people who have been arrested for a crime to decide if uh, they should get released at all pre-trial, pre-conviction. These assessment algorithms are inevitably racially biased. Like it takes a number of considerations to like decide whether or not you should be released. And because we it's based on previous uh, like arrests of other people in the state and people who get arrested in California are predominantly black and brown because of a racist criminal justice system. And so the algorithm based on that is going to be racist as well. So we our yes was based on getting rid of cash bail, which has kept poor, also predominantly black and brown residents in jail pretrial for extremely long amounts of time. Getting rid of that system is a huge deal. It also takes out the entire bail bonds industry as an interest group. They are actually funding this. They're putting Prop 25 on the ballot, hoping that you vote no so the bail bonds industry can stay alive. And they are supported in this effort by the Deputy Sheriff's Union, the California GOP, people that you do not want to be aligned with in in any sense ever in terms of like criminal justice uh, reform. At the same time, a number of criminal justice reform groups are stepping forward to say, the new system that we are going to get coming out of Prop 25 is potentially even worse yeah. than the cash bail system that we have now. The groups like Justice LA, the Public Defenders Union, Human Rights Watch, Patrice Colors, their other Color of Change, others are now saying like we uh, vote no on Prop 25. We would rather have the cash bail system, especially because this makes it even more complicated. There was a recent uh, California Supreme Court ruling known as uh, Humphrey that makes it so judges do have to account for whether 
people can afford bail as they are setting it. Right. The we so we have we've gone from yes to neutral on this, which the ACLU SoCal uh, has taken that position as well. Part of it is like my uh, general aversion after having supported Alex Villanueva to like not I I don't really want to be. Uh, accountable for the world that exists coming out of this yep. ballot proposition. It's not going to be good either way. Either we have the cash bail system or we have a racist algorithm uh, making uh, decisions over who should stay in jail. But I also like, I, I would never second guess the positions of the people that work in this field mm-hmm. and don't want this to happen. But I also think there are political Scott and I were talking about this political ramifications to the failure of this proposition. I think at this point, if it passes, it will be because of general public sentiment towards fewer people being in, in jail for as long. Yep. That's what people, most people think that they are voting in favor of and like ending cash bail. So people aren't just like held uh, without conviction for really long periods of time. Like that's what people are voting based on. There, there is a no campaign uh, being mounted now by criminal justice reform groups. It's really late, and I don't think people are voting already. I don't think there's significant chance of that cutting through in time to make a big difference to the reason people will be voting on this, especially because all the Democrats in the mm-hmm. state are are supporting it. Mm-hmm. If it fails, it will, by the same token, be largely because L.A. is uh, California is still a pretty tough on crime yep. state. Uh, and b- because people say like, oh, like the, look at homelessness, homelessness is because all the jails have been thrown open and zero bail and we've got to put people back in jail now. Yep. And if that happens, I think the appetite for the state legislature, just an extremely inert, impotent group of people on a good day will not like the like the general reform movement is not going to have much momentum going back and saying like okay we have the cash bail system back again but like now let's get rid of this thing entirely so no algorithm and no bail i i i i question how much momentum that's going to have in the legislature wow i think you could have more I don't know. I mean, this is, I'm not really capable of predicting this, but I think you could also see a scenario where it could work both ways. If it passes, uh, you could uh, have the legislature make changes to the algorithm system that make it like less racist. Or you could say like, you could see them saying like, okay, well we got that done and then just like rest on their laurels and not do anything ever again. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like so hard yeah. because, yeah, I think in either case, you risk running into a situation where the legislature just says, "Well, okay, we're we're not touching this now." And that was something that the ACLU really came down hard on the legislature after uh, the passage of SB ten because they were saying that now that the legislature has passed this change, they're going to not revisit it for a long time right so yeah it's hard it's hard to say i i like i told you hayes i i couch really my my previous support of and endorsement of a yes vote here in the belief that eliminating a stakeholder an entire stakeholder industry for the cash bail system and we've seen how how tough 
the bail bonds industry can be in supporting the continuation of this system. And they are the ones who put this ballot measure on the ballot to begin with. So uh, the elimination of them as a stakeholder industry seems politically to me consequential. And that does seem like if you want further changes to to the system, that it might be easier to accomplish that having just basically the prosecutors to deal with instead of the, the prosecutors and also the bail bonds industry. I, I do think it ends up being, it ends up having been a, a savvy decision to make this the type of referendum that the bail bonds industry made it because for criminal justice groups uh, and um, and anti-carceral groups, I can see now that it is, and exactly why, it's very unpalatable to actually endorse uh, a yes vote and say, this system is okay. Like, you should affirmatively approve this system that that nobody seems to think is very good and might be worse. And I mean, mi- like based on yeah, well, and m- might I mean, be worse. And this kind of around the greater reckoning we're seeing in society is a real evaluation of how AI has been replicating the bias in algorithms. And you see, you saw the image the other day on Twitter where it was you were there were two faces on the on Twitter's images, and it was like highlighting the white face always right. over the black sure. face, right? So it's it's been present in the mortgage industry like all these things have been proven like the algorithm replicates the bias and perpetuates it so we're there's no real to to trust a tech company that would be i'm sure a reputable california based company to do this you know as long as it's like citizen or something i think it'll be fine so. <laughs> i mean i do i i i, I this is the only measure on the ballot that I think I'm still really not sure about. So I, I think that that going yeah. neutral makes sense for us. Um, and at the very, like, no matter, I'm leaning towards voting no. I'm probably going to vote no. But I don't really feel, I, I just want people to be able to, like, look at all this information for themselves because I I, I don't think the world that we face coming out of this is 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 conclusive enough for me to, like, encourage people to vote one way right. or another on mass about it. So it's all in the guy, you know, it's all in the voter guide. We try to put as much out there as possible and read all the other voter gui- voter guides too. Like a lot of people have a lot of great uh, perspectives uh, on this issue and so many others. Thank you for listening to LA podcast. Thank you for reading our voter guide. Please reach out on our socials with any comments about it or any uh, typos that you catch possible uh and we will be back next week on la podcast bye